0: Welcome to Series 3 of the Tim Hill Podcast. In the last two series, I've told you about my life. I've met many interesting people along the way who have become my friends. And what they all have in common is they all have fascinating stories of their own, which they are happy to share with you now. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Tim Hill Podcast, for a third time with Mike. So retirement's looming.
1: Yeah so basically so retirement was looming and and as I said earlier I needed to work and uh, I was looking at uh, either becoming a harbour master or maybe a bursar at a school and then the job of uh, the general secretary of the Royal Naval Sailing Association came on my radar. Now one of the things throughout my career uh, which I haven't really mentioned but sailing was a big big part uh of my career and, and having got into navy sailing uh, i mean for instance i did 25 services offshore races um and uh and i managed to do 10 fast nets of which uh, i finished seven because we had a mast that went over the side of playing the 1979 one uh, but i wasn't in the military then uh and uh we also had a a, a rudder problem uh, where we went into Cork on another one of the races, but seven of them we finished. And that was including in a Nick 55, in uh, one of the Sigma 38s, the Stephen Jones 35, as I mentioned. So a lot of service-related uh, races and obviously with with service teams. I'd um, also been the captain of one of the branches while I was down in in uh, um, Portland so while I was sewing there so effectively I ran a Rensa branch later on in the piece I became the rear commodore offshore for the Royal Naval Selling Association so I had a, a lot of knowledge of how Rensa worked and had been in a position As either sailing secretary or branch captain or whatever in a number of the organizations as i went round, including the air side as well which was a virtual branch and when the job came up um i applied and i was very fortunate went to interview there were three of us who uh who put up who were selected to go to interview and managed to win the job which was superb and and then it started off uh, that was in two thousand and seven. Uh, we then bought a house in León Solent because while while we were away in Stavanger, uh, we had a house up in Ferrum which we owned. But we 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 sold everything, and sold the house because the idea was to go to be as flexible as possible, depending on where in the country I managed to find work. And as I said, being a harbour master, it could have been anywhere. And so the idea was to to then buy a house wherever i ended up for my second career as such uh as it was you know getting the rented job we bought a place down in leon solent and uh and then um i did uh just under 12 years as a general secretary
0: me. so so were you part of the the initial transition to it becoming a, a, the full-on charity that it is now
1: Yeah, very much so. I mean, for the first uh, eight years, we ran it as an unincorporated association. It continued very much as it had always been. So I took over from a chap called Tim Norman Walker, uh, and we had about 6,000 members at the time. And effectively, we continued to run the organisation as it had been. Lots of branches, uh, lots of different discipline rear commodores one for windsurfing one for offshore one for cruising and we had all the various different meetings to get together to deliver and rear commodore dinghies of course uh that involved all the naval assets as well the naval dinghies the establishment yachts running the uh, services offshore regatta clearly and the various different dinghy regattas so that's that's the way it was for, for the first eight years and just, you know, keeping business as normal. And then the idea came in to become a charity. And really, a lot of that was uh, based on risk, because um, one of the things that um, transpired is that if, say, there'd been a major accident whereby we were proved that as the originators of something, like, like the Whip Red Round the World race this is where it really came into, that as the organisers and being responsible for the delivery of those, of that race, that if a boat had gone down and say, the individuals on board then had sued the organisation and saying that they were at fault because they wouldn't have been there had it not been for the organisation, then the litigation could run into millions and as an unincorporated organisation, then uh, people were liable. Now, right, we had lots of insurance and we had officers and uh, directors, um, you know, insurance up up to 10 million. But if there'd been a major case, then that doesn't go far. and the, And the law was that then you could asset strip anybody who was in the management and indeed all the members. You know if in, in the worst case scenario now obviously it's very very low risk because the chances of that happening are very very small in fact that we couldn't really think of any scenario where that would happen however the risk was still out there from the point of view of the general secretary as well every single boat that was own, that was run by rencer was in my name because as an unincorporated association then you can't the organization can't own the assets so effectively it had to be in somebody's name by law that's the mca uh, law and therefore it was in the name in my name (laughs) that was okay because you know i basically had a a letter that said it was not my property however by the law then it could be that if i suddenly dropped dead then they were saying part that, of
0: your estate.
1: They part of my <laughs> estate. Absolutely. So there are lots of good reasons to go down the channel route. Now but the the organization was quite complex in its own way with the layers of the layers of the branches and the rear commodores and the fact that we had 285 moorings in Portsmouth Harbour. We also had moorings in uh, the West Country, in Clyde. And then the different Branch setups whereby some of them were still very much attached to a base like Clyde, whereby you had uh, serving p- personnel, uh, industrials who were running the, the sailing clubs uh, down to all the sailing centres, and then uh, other uh, organisations, so say at Excellent, whereby all the staff had been tupied and so were run by whoever had the contract, the service contract at the time. Uh, and so looking looking at it to try and turn it into a charity was quite difficult because of all the personnel that were involved in the organization and a huge amount of volunteers. Yeah. But of course that's all been sorted out. Uh, and as you know, Phil Warwick is now um, taken over, well took over from me and it was at that juncture that we had applied to become a charity, but actually had been rejected. And then, they the 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 organisation went in it a different way and effectively mirrored the charity that the army had set up, hmm. and they were then that that then passed muster with the charity commission. But what we were trying to do is make it make Rentser a charity that uh, reflected the organisation as it was at the time, and that that was not part possible to do uh because of the charity commission uh rules and also if you think about it you know if you've got say a retired admiral who's using a royal naval sailing association berth for his own benefit with his own yacht then how is that charitable whereas whereas and so what's happened with the moorings that's become a limited company which is fine because that also gives the uh, the governance and the protection. Uh, Whereas the main part of RENSA has become a charity, and that is totally in line with the Army Sailing Association, who have been a charity for quite a number of years. Hmm. So, yes, I'm very much part of that. And uh, you can imagine that with all the different elements of any association that to go to make that big change you had quite a number of dissenting voice voices, so to keep everybody, you know, happy with the thrust and the, and for the way ahead, was quite a complex process, in constantly explaining to people that actually it was for everybody's benefit, rather than saying, well, actually, you know, I disagree. We should keep it as it is.
0: Well, we're going through exactly the same thing with Hornet Services Society Club at the moment to become uh, an incorporated limited company. Yeah. uh, 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 Guaranteed. So yeah. And that that's hopefully gonna come to fruition by the end of the year.
1: Yeah. And I think it's the right way to go. You know, and uh especially as I have fortunate enough to still sit on the committee. Uh in fact, uh probably I've been the longest standing member of the Hornet uh full full committee of anybody because of course I attended Every meeting, while I was a general secretary of the Royal Naval Sailing Association, and now as president of the Sea Cadets, which are have got the new boat station that we built in Fort Blockhouse Three, then I attend the meetings in that role, so Mm -hmm. as an ex officio uh, member. So, uh, so I've been sitting on the committee for a long time, and actually, I I think that uh, what's happening with obviously new Commodore Richard Stokes and also Paul Worthington who's been putting it all together having been a company secretary himself then it is exactly the right way to go and we'll put uh, Hornet Services Sailing Club Limited as it will become on a very very firm footing for the future yeah that's
0: brilliant okay thank you very much Mike I think (laughs) We're we're there.
1: Yeah, lovely. Thank and, you very much indeed.
0: That, unless we add in another little bit about the Sea Cadets and your involvement with Sea Cadets.
1: Yeah, well I could I could talk that through very quickly if you if you like. Yeah. I mean basically, um I've been uh, years ago there was uh a thing called the Royalist Regatta and there was a lady called Janet Picton, who was a lieutenant commander sea cadet, and uh she had this idea to get a number of city slickers down to uh, Portsmouth and it was a two-day event effectively whereby they um, chartered some sun sail boats to have a day of practice on the water to then have uh, a, a day of racing and no sorry right a day of practice and then a full naval mess dinner so there was an element of actually showing the navy to all these people in these various different uh companies in in london and then a day of racing with uh ts royalist or the you know, the training ship royalist as our committee boat and then back for a lovely tea with a big sea cadet cake and then everybody just bids, and it was a money spinner uh for the sea cadet uh charity and uh the and it was very successful. So the first year they charged 1500 pounds per boat. Uh, we had about uh, 10 uh, companies that that came down. We had um, HMS Excellent Wardroom to run the dinner and, uh, and Jonathan Todd at the time was the Admiral of the Sea Cadets. And it was a fantastic event, made lots of money, really good outreaching and and also showing all these organizations what the secret debt about and the Royal Navy. And so from one off it became then, well we'll do it again. And then we did it again and we kept going for sixteen or seventeen years. And I was involved in all of them. Uh, basically because I was the rear commodore offshore at the time when it started. And then that went on to uh my you know my my time as serving elsewhere but coming back for the sea cadet regatta uh or and and then uh when i was a general secretary um i was no longer entitled to sail on the boat because it was a royal navy entry but i got involved on the committee and in fact stood in as the assistant race officer and then became the race officer towards the end so that was my commitment with the sea Cadets. and then um again uh, having left the Navy, I joined the Rotary, uh, the local Rotary, the Gosport Rotary. And uh, one of the members of that was a retired Admiral uh, called Tony Whetstone, who was an ex-Flag Officer submarines. And one day he put his... He, sorry, I'll go back a little bit. Having, having, having left the service, Dave Evans, who was the chairman of Southampton Sea Cadets, put his arm around me and said, I need a deputy. Would you come in and, and help me? So I became the deputy chairman of Southampton Secrets. But I also joined the Rotary. And then one night, Tony Whetstone put his arm around me and said, I want to stand down as the president of the TS Hornet. And I'm looking at you to take over. Of course, I'm a commander retired. He's an admiral retired. What do you say? Yes, sir. <laughs> and so I became the president of uh, TS Hornet, which, uh, yeah, I've been doing that for about 10 or 10, 10 or 12 years now and uh, and had a fabulous thrill. So I stood down from Southampton and then got very involved in Hornet. And um, as members will know, we got... Um, evicted effectively from Clarence Yard where we used to have our our boat station but part of the package that came with that was some money from City Deal as they called it uh, which was 400,000 pounds in order to build another boat station but we were also told that we had three years so this money wasn't there forever we had to get on and crack on and do it and with all the negotiations that went on and a chap called Colin Pipe who was uh, one of our members uh, on the unit management committee. He was a very, very good uh, project manager, currently working on the Type 31 project. And uh, with the unit management, we formed a little project team, and including John Beavis, who was uh, the local councillor. So he had ins with the uh, with Gosport Council. We managed to get all the planning permission through and the, and the build, and um, we spent the money, which is why now... T. S. Hornet have got their boat station on uh, Fort Blockhouse Three, and as as the president, even though it is a nominal role, a you know a nice role to have, I do attend quite the majority of the unit management uh, committees to keep a good involvement, um, you know, with what's going on, and also the unit as a whole, which is luckily very healthy. You know, it's, it's it we're, we're a good unit. We've got a waiting list of uh, cadets. Uh, and uh, the current chairman, Cy Bush, is uh, is doing a fabulous job as his pre- predecessor, Pinky Salmon. You know, he was uh, he was very good in the role. And before that, there was a, a lady called Hillary, who was a lieutenant, uh, SCC, but she got poached by the headquarters because he was doing such a good job that they pulled her into, uh, you know, that stuff. <laughs> so that's the way, but uh, it, it it's a fun thing. And, and the great thing about it, of course, is that it is for the young cadets and 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 the lovely thing about them is that a, a lot of them come from dysfunctional families but they're all great kids and the just the discipline and and the activities within the sea cadets all of them you know turn into very 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 nice citizens and that's the lovely thing about it, and that's the real joy of for me of being involved with Sea Cadets.
0: And that's something that Gosport really needs; is really nice kids. Yeah, and um, and the, the the unit itself, I understand that's still in Clarence Yard, but that's got to move as well soon.
1: Well, soon, yeah. I mean, basically, the the unit, um, the the main headquarters, as we call it was the old telephone exchange in Clarence Yard and that's on a peppercorn uh, rent or a lease for a hundred years which was all part of the development of the marina uh, when they went down there. So effectively Barclay Homes you know, handed the telephone exchange over uh, to the Sea Cadets on that hundred year lease. It's a very expensive building to maintain because that's the only problem. It came with a full maintenance, uh, you know, responsibility. And we are now looking. Now we've got the boat station, which was alongside it. In fact, the boat station used to be the, the um, building where Queen Victoria used to park her train when she went across to Osborne House. So it used to get put into this, this, this uh, little building. That was alongside, obviously, the the uh, telephone exchange. So we could take the kids out and just take them through the main, the main gate down there and then onto the water. Mm. Now that we we've, we've moved into Fort Blockhouse Three, then what we'd really like is to co-locate the headquarters uh, with um, the boat boat station, and so we're all on one site. So work is going on at the moment to say, right, that, you know, how do we go about that? And clearly the, 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 the two, you know, the police barracks and the guardhouse uh, are also within that the scope of saying that if they are become, you know, fit for the purpose for the sea cadets to have as the headquarters, then clearly that would be a wonderful option, you know, for, for the sea cadets to be co-located on site.
0: Yeah, so hopefully that will come to fruition. Um, so the, the roof's been done on the old um, police barracks at the moment, and I think hopefully we're looking at progressing to get the inside done and also look at the uh, the guardroom as well. And hopefully, yes, uh, yeah. incorporate that into the, the sea cadets.
1: Indeed. I mean, the thing is that we have to watch a little bit about usage because... Uh, the sea cadets only well, only I say, you know, they, they meet on two evenings of the week and then sometimes at the weekends. So effectively the boat station will be very much used. But that the the other element of course of, of all this is saying you wouldn't want to have a a building like that, which has got s- such limited usage. It. So it might be a it might be that we come to a shared usage of a building, and that would be that would be wonderful because that because then of course the responsibility for the building would not just be on the sea Cadets as it is now in Clarence Yard. Mm. Uh, what happens in Clarence Yard, unsurprisingly, is that we we do uh, lend out the building to other organisations and then they pay for the usage of uh, of the time that they're in the building, and that brings in enough funds. Uh, in order to for us to pay all the different bills.
0: Yeah, I know they're looking at um, uh, four blockhouse at one. That's that's still up in the air, but they've got the air cadets on board there. Yeah. Um, and if it does close, they would be looking for somewhere else to to locate, and maybe you could share the one of the buildings with them.
1: Yeah, indeed absolutely air cadets and also uh as you know the offshore division of the sea cadets uh are in fort blockhouse one so they would have to get they'd have to somewhere to go to and uh so they've got a, a good organization at the moment um that's andy fenner in it as the current boss uh but uh who knows what will if, if they if for instance they do close Fort Blockhouse one or sell it off, then uh, they will need to go somewhere. And admittedly, that the three ships that they've got wouldn't fit along into uh, Hornet, but it might be that uh, the actual administration might come into those buildings. So I think there's 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 good usage, and also the Army Sailing Association. Uh, yeah, I know
0: they're very keen to yeah. come down, and they. They fronted up some funds to 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 aid that.
1: Yeah. And RAFSA as well. You know, I I think that um looking at the future, if we could get all the service sailings associations together, rather like the fact that, you know, Hornet Services Sailing Club, which was predominantly naval and is now tri-service, I mean that's worked very well. And uh and I felt during my time as general secretary the closer that we could get to the other associations was also beneficial to service sailing as a whole, and uh, and if if people were co-located in the same office for the administration, well, of course, that's it's all power to the mill, isn't it?
0: Absolutely, and it reduces the cost for everybody. Precisely,
1: yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I think there's some, you know, good practical ways ahead that uh, will be very beneficial. To all the organisations, sea cadets, and the associations, uh, and we'll just see what uh, you know what happens in the near future.
0: Yes, let's hope it's the near future, and not the distant future.
1: Absolutely, I agree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that would have been fascinating, Mike. Absolutely loved it. So, thank you once again.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks, Tim.
0: Thank you so much for listening.